Welcome back, Compass Bible Church, to another episode of the Compass Equip Podcast. That was Pastor Hayden, and this is Pastor Evan. And here at Compass Bible Church, we exist not just to make noises, but to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's by, right. By reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And in everything that we do, from kids' camps to women's events, men's events, and this podcast, is to fulfill that mission of reaching, teaching, and training. Well, Compass Bible Church, pat yourself on the back. Give a round of applause, round of applause to God because we just completed our first book of the Bible as a church. But don't pat yourself on the back for your own merit and good works, only by the grace of God. That's right. That's going to circle back to your sermon right there. <laughs> grace with you. There That's you go. Right. All right. Well, Compass Bible Church, we as a church has finished by the grace of God. We have persevered, hence mm. the title. Not really hence the title, but it happened to be the title. Teamwork, perseverance. We have finished the book of Colossians with Colossians chapter 4, verses 14. We circle back to it. And we don't skip verses Mm-mm. or leave them behind. And also concluding in verses 17 to 18. So let me read that to you right now. Uh, right now, yeah. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Continue on in verse 17. And to say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. All right, Compass Bible Church, Pastor Hayden just preached a sermon not too long ago. We, we wrapped up the, uh, the letter to the Colossians, and as a reminder, the main focus, the main point of his sermon is that we need to maintain a high view of God because that is crucial if we want to persevere in the ministry through every season of life. He had four points. One, utilizing your skills for ministry. Uh, two, don't get distracted by a love for this age. Point number three was stay focused on God's mission. And point number four, expect a measure of suffering. Well, Pastor Hayden, there's always more things you would like to talk about, things on your notes or even on the notes of the, the notes before the notes that you bring <laughs> up there. Um, but what is something that you would you wish you can dive into a little bit more to explain about you know util, utilizing our our skills for ministry? Yeah, uh, like I said, I don't like to overstate things that uh, the Bible doesn't overstate, um, but I do think it was really important to look at the fact that uh, Luke used his skill and used his profession to uh, glorify God and to uh, do the work of ministry. And, you know, just like I was saying earlier, and I know it's going to be hard for some of us, uh, more difficult in certain professions than it is others to uh, explicitly uh, apply your faith publicly, but it doesn't mean that's any less necessary in all of our lives. As a matter of fact, for those of you who are in scenarios and environments where using your profession for ministry is highly questioned, the more so that it needs to be explicit in your context, because if it is difficult, that means no one's doing it. And so for you, the responsibility is is the same, even if the stakes, uh, so to speak, are higher. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think that point was driven home pretty well in the sermon. So yeah. Well, then how does it tie into the kind of the main point for all the points, all the points point back to the main point of mm-hmm. making sure that we have a high view of God and even challenge us right away about how we respond to the sermon, even when we tune you out or tune you in or really tuning God out or tuning God in is our view of God. So how does a low view of God hinder us from utilizing our skills for the ministry? 
Yeah, I mean, your low view of God is always going to uh, impact the way that you live, the way that you work, and the way that you use those things to serve him. Uh, if you have a low view of God, you're, you're going to go to work and you're not going to give two thoughts about what God's expectations are. But a high view of God does things like this. For example, let me help, help you ap- apply it. Uh, Acts, early on in Acts, it says that God has allotted right, our geography and our place in history to serve his purposes. So even that, right, you are, no, you are not anywhere that God didn't place you for a purpose. And so that's a high view of God to say, man, I'm not even in my job. If God didn't place me here to do it, that's a high view of God versus a low view of God saying, you know, I get to choose what I want, do what I want, where I want, when I want. And it really doesn't have anything to do with God. I mean, there's your practical application of what a high view versus a low view of God's going to do. And you have to keep a high view of God to continue every week, week in and week out, serving God uh, with your vocation, with your skills and with your work. All right. Well, Kind of moving on to point number two, you mentioned in order for us to maintain a high view of God, we need to make sure we don't get distracted. And it's very easy for us to get distracted. And he broke down in Demas, you know, in Colossians 4.14, positive light about Demas. Hey, he, he's a fellow worker. Philemon, uh, verse 24, he's a fellow worker, but we read in 2 Timothy 4.10 that he fell in love with his present world and has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Now, Pastor Hayden, how can we make sure that we like Demas, don't get distracted. We as Christians can get distracted. Not Christians get distracted. He might be have been of he might have been a false convert, but let's move them aside. What about us Christians that can easily get distracted? What is your counsel from you know your sermon for us to make sure that we maintain a high view of God and don't get distracted? You are going to pursue the thing that you love or the thing that you see as most beneficial in your life. And if that thing in your mind is not always God, you are going to get distracted, and you're going to choose things over God. And whether it's the, your, your proclivities of sin, when you sin, just think about it this way, and I've heard it by many pastors, right? When you sin, it is the reason that it is sin is because you have chosen that thing over God. So every sin is a sin of idolatry. It may be a sin of other things too, but it is always a sin of idolatry. You have chosen that thing over you over what God's word says. You have chosen to worship that thing, to choose that thing over God. And that's what a low view of God leads you to always. Like you don't think much of God, so everything becomes more significant than God, more important than God. So why wouldn't every other thing distract me from God? And so that's why it's so appalling in the in the church, right? For people who call themselves Christians who find themselves in community to continue choosing things over God because that's idolatry. I mean, that is the like first commandment. And it's like when we get distracted by a love for this age, like Demas did, it, it is so disturbing because a high view of God says nothing. I choose nothing over God. How would you how would you counsel us as we know that you know the world spent, I think you said thirty two billion dollars three hundred and twenty two billion in twenty twenty four. Excuse me, I need to add a two there. Yeah. Three hundred and twenty two billion dollars on average to grasp and capture our attention. Now we know that that's gonna happen. Yep. It'd be foolish for us to say, won't happen to me, but you know, I'm thinking of the putting on the full armor of God. How can we be equipped knowing that the world's gonna do everything it can to fall to have us fall in love with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the easiest thing to do, as we forecast to 2024, thinking $322 billion will be spent on commercial advertisement. I mean, you have to be gospel-driven, right, not uh, consumer-driven. 
I mean, and that's, I mean, I, I can't tell you how much of that's going to help you. You know, and I, you know, I'm, I praise God that one of my proclivities is not consumerism. Like, I don't care to have a lot. Uh, and so commercials don't impact me a lot or advertising don't impact me a lot. Having things doesn't impact me a lot to, to the glory of God, not a pat on my back. Right? Praise God. I have too many other problems. And, and that's not what I see it. But what I do is I watch it and say, man, they're trying so hard to get people's attention. And it just it, it just floors me to watch. And so, you know, to help our people say, hey, be gospel driven. All the things that that uh, the commerce is trying to do to you, that advertising is trying to do to you, they're trying to make you driven by consumerism to get you to buy this, get you to buy this. And the gospel is always get you off of yourself and onto God, onto the mission of God, onto you getting a right relationship with God and you trying to help everyone else understand what it means to be in right relationship with God. And so like what you said in the sermon, how Demas was in love with the world, but Paul was in love with you know, the crown of righteousness, eternity. He was thinking about the next world. He's thinking about right. his future life with Christ. Right, who loved the appearing of Christ. I mean, that's what that's what we were to love. Exactly. And so, um, but to, just to touch on this very briefly, just because it's not really the main focus of your sermon, but mm-hmm. you did bring it up. And I mentioned, I remember talking to a, a couple in Boise during the Equip conference. It wasn't anyone in the conference, actually. It was some random couple at lunch. Who were you know, who, who were concerned about their sons leaving the faith, and so you talked about Demas being a false convert, and so you know, thinking about First mm-hmm. John two nineteen, sure. or even Jesus's words in Matthew thirteen. How should we approach people who we think are Christians, or even maybe examining ourselves? How can we respond to the fact that people, when they leave the faith, how should we respond? We have to understand uh, the, the verse that I always go to God's word. Like, what does God say? And when I read the Bible, and I read uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and it says, few will enter the kingdom of heaven, right? Wide is the road that leads to destruction, and many will find it. Narrow is the road that leads to life, and few will find it. So I have to take God's word seriously and say, not many people. Now, what that does is it allows me to see that when, the, when America says that 80% of people are Christians, that seems pretty wide to me, right? I mean, that seems like the narrow is the 20%. Well, that does. That's not biblical, right? The na- the narrow can't be twenty percent aren't and eighty percent are. The narrow is that few people will 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 come into the kingdom, right? I mean, for the majority of the population, they're not going to know. And so, I start with that to frame my worldview of salvation. To say people aren't pe- many people aren't going to have it, but there are people who are, and there are people who also think they have it when they don't, right? Lord, Lord, did do we not do all these great things for you? And yet Jesus is going to say, I did not know you. Those frame my understanding biblically of salvation. Now, there will be people, like we talked about on stage, where I said they like the idea of God, they love the benefits of God, they love all these things about this personal, uh, imminent God who is also transcendent, but it doesn't mean they're Christians. It doesn't mean they're saved. And so when they leave you know, after or whatever, I mean, truly they leave because they're not, they don't have the Holy Spirit and nothing can sustain their faith. Their good works can only sustain them for so long until they realize that it's never going to be enough. And that is the gospel of grace, right? You can't never do enough to be right with God. And so when these people get to a point in their life, which is why we're concerned about Demas, he got to a point where his good works, he was tired, right? And we don't know whether or not those good, he, he had that line there said, I can't do this. Like many people do. So many people do a lot of good things. They get to that point and they leave. And so what do you do with those people? You look at verses like we talked about in 1 John, and we look at verses like Matthew 13 and say, there's going to be people who love the idea of God, but 
but aren't saved. They don't have the efficacious grace of God in his spirit to sustain them. And we need to go after those people. We need to love those people. But we can't assume that everyone who leaves our church just because they profess faith actually have saving faith. It reminds me of some words that as the on the the pastoral um, I guess breakout that you were in, in in Boise with all the lead pastors of the different compasses. One of the lead pastor mentioned how when people say they tried Christianity and it's not for them, he says, "I'm sorry because people don't try Christianity. Right? You live Christianity, right. and it kind of circles back right to point number three: staying focused on God's mission. We see these people leave." Knowing that, okay, these people aren't saved, so our mission is to reach them. We mm-hmm. don't give up. Right. And, of course, the people that aren't professing or even think they are professing, regardless of who it is, we need to focus on God's mission. And you gave us two sub-points in there to make sure how can we make sure we stay focused. It's you know regularly, regularly acquainting ourselves with the training manual, a.k.a. the Bible. Mission manual. Mission manual. That's good. I need to retype that. Alliteration. I just like the alliteration. Mission manual. Well, there you go. And then also to stay connected to missionaries. Now, yep. I want to dive on a little detail right here, especially with the missionaries. You know, we're not just just talking about foreign missionaries. Mm-hmm. Explain that a little further for us. Well, what is a missionary? Right. Someone on a mission. Someone on a mission. Right? It's the noun, right? The person, right? The person who does missions is called a missionary. Well, if we're all, uh, all focused on the mission of God, God's mission, then we are the noun of that, right? So we are the missionaries. And so we're all missionaries. And if everybody in God's church could recognize that you're a missionary, and I want you to think uh, briefly, I mean, God, we have so much to talk about and not enough time, but think about it just simply this way. If you've ever had a friend or you've ever done mission training, and how much time that you think and learn about other cultures, about other language, about other th- other countries in the history and the culture. And those people spend a lot of time understanding the Bible, learning the Bible, learning how to share the gospel. And they do all those things. And then they go and they do mission work. Okay, that is the same exact command that we're given here. Like wherever you live, we live in New Braunfels. That's our context. And we need to do everything we can to do all of those things I just said you would do if you were going across the world here in our own local context. And we have to do that with other missionaries. Like we all going to do that together as Compass Bible Church. And it's going to be amazing to see what happens when a church stays focused on God's mission. And with that, we know that if we're focused on God's mission, that we should expect suffering. Mm-hmm. You brought up, and that's point number four, expect a measure of suffering. You brought up 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 14, and it says, Indeed, all who desire a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Mm-hmm. And I love some of the questions. I almost wonder to have you reiterate some of the questions when you challenged us to say, if you don't think you're going to be persecuted, let me ask a few questions. You reiterate some of the questions and maybe even break it down a little okay. bit for us. Uh, for questions I ask, I think are revealing because you think, if you're listening to this, probably that you're not going to find a lot of suffering and persecution in the Christian faith here in the Bible Belt. But uh, how about I me mean, asking you these questions and being honest with yourself? Tell me, what would happen if you regularly shared the gospel at work? Like, you're already answering that in your mind. Well, if I did that, people would, they wouldn't like me. They would say mean things about me. Well, this is why you probably don't share the gospel at work because you know the persecution is coming. So you have this like double-mindedness where you think there's no persecution, but the very reason that you're not staying on mission is because you know persecution may be coming. Now, teachers, if you're a teacher in the public school system, tell me what could happen if you consistently share the gospel at school with a coworker, or might I dare say a student, right? You may gasp. Why? Because you know that if the world says that's wrong, 
God says that's right. And if you do what God says over what the world says, you'll be persecuted. Exactly. Now, next, tell me what happens when you go to Thanksgiving with your extended family and you preach the gospel. Hmm. No turkey for you. No dressing. You might get that. What is that purple stuff called? Cranberry? Yeah, whatever. Cranberry (laughs) sauce. All right. Lastly, tell me what people say when you believe that being made in the image of God means that every soul has a right to live. I mean, look online. Go online right now. What does people say about this idea that we should be pro-life? Like, I'm pro-life everybody. Geriatrics all the way down to the unborn. I mean, look up what people think about those things. Because I believe that, not because I want to be... I want to be uh, tagged as a pro-lifer or conservative. I believe that every soul has a right to live because I have a high view of God. And I believe that every person has been created in the image of God. And to have a high view of God means that I believe, since every soul has been made in the image of God, that they all have a right to live and to know God. Now, you say that in public. What's going to happen? Persecution. So that's all I'm saying. So before you say, well, not here, you're a little overwhelming, Pastor, to say that we're going to suffer, answer those questions honestly and tell me what will happen to you. That's why we have to stay focused on the mission and expect that these things will come. Right? Knowing that you would, you will have suffering or misfortunes and adversity uh, is, is what we have to do if we're going to do the ministry because you have to know what to expect. And be ready for it when it happens. And this means we have to maintain the high view of God, which you broke down. It's his word and his will, no matter what may happen. Hmm. And then you broke down at the very end of the sermon. I want to make sure we touch on this before we jump on to the you know, daily Bible reading spotlight. Is the fact that you mentioned the, un, you know, the grace, the unmerited favor that we get. We don't deserve God's mercy, but you want to make sure that we ended with hope. We're not going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. We're going to fail. You and I are, are going to fail at evangelizing, failing at God's mission, but what should we do in our failures and, as we kind of joked about patting ourselves on the back a little bit, (laughs) in our successes? Right. Well, it's unmerited favor of God. You didn't deserve it. You got what you didn't deserve, and that's all the good blessings from God. And when you fail, the great thing is you have the unmerited favor of God. Do we still repent when we fail? Of course we do. Uh, But but we get the unmerited favor of God. Uh, When we succeed and we think that it was all us, uh, we need to repent from that because it wasn't. It was the unmerited favor of God. And we always just have this grace uh, be with you. The fact that we take the grace of God with us wherever we go, we can do the work of ministry. We can accomplish what God has us out here to accomplish because he's empowered us to do so, given us the command and the ability to fulfill it in him. All right, Life Group. So with the application questions, make sure that you're doing them before Life Group. And as Pastor Hayden always reiterates, focus on you. Mm-hmm. We don't need more commentators in Life Group. We need people to be open and transparent with our lives about how you answered these questions. And how you're going to apply it to your life. And how you're going to apply it. All right. We are into our daily Bible reading spotlight, and we are covering Job chapter 10 through chapter 28. All right, Compass Bible Church. This we're gonna try to do our best with the time. This podcast might be a little longer because of current events, and right. it's our podcast. We can make it longer. Okay. Yeah. But I want to make sure I we can equip you to read the Book of Job. Sometimes people can go, I get the beginning, I get the end. Well, what's going on in the middle? Well, guess what, Compass? We're about to read that middle chunk, the majority of the text. I mean, the first three chapters are easy. The final like half chapter is great. But we're sitting there going, I don't, I don't get it half the time. Well, let me help you. Uh, first and foremost, background. 
This is probably the oldest book of the Bible. This is very ancient Hebrew that is actually very difficult to translate, but you need to treat the book of Job like a prologue. It's asking the right questions to set up the rest of the Bible narrative of God's creating a perfect world, sin entering that world because of man, and God trying to get man back into his presence through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. So this is the asking the great questions. It's the great book because it's the book on suffering. Some of you understand Job just because you have suffered like him. You know pain because sometimes you're in the pain. You're like, I don't know what reality is. And that's where the book of Job is so important. Now, there's a helpful resource that I would highly recommend getting. It's actually going to be helping you for the, all the books of the Bible. But it's Haley's or Halley's. I actually have no idea to pronounce Haley's. it. Haley's. Haley's. There we go. Haley's. H-A-L-L-E-Y. Haley's Bible Handbook. It's going to be a very helpful 60,000 foot overview of each chapter or the chapters of the Bible, Old Testament and New, to kind of help you grasp what's going on. This is going to be very helpful as you read the book of Job. But as a reminder, the purpose of Job is to prove God is right. He puts himself on trial in the beginning. The reason why Job is suffering is because God's trying to prove a point. He's trying to, he's going to destroy the conventional wisdom of the world to show that it's not as simple as we may think from a human perspective. It's understanding the world correctly. And so it, the conventional w- wisdom is good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. But or is there more? And then there is more. And that's what the book of Job is trying to reveal to us. Thankfully, God showed the beginning of what's going on happening in the heavenly council before we dived in to the book of Job. But as we're into the meat of the book, um, this is going to be helpful to, to know. First off, the characters. We have Job, his three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, and the fourth friend, Elihu, who this is the only Jewish name of the friends, FYI. And so Elihu doesn't speak up to the very end, and that's for next week. Why is it important that he's the only Jew? Because he, well, he's only it's important. Sorry, actually, he's important because actually the Jewish people aren't really there yet. They haven't really been chosen because it's before Abraham, and there's a potential he might be related to Abraham. Mm-hmm. He might have lived around the time of Abraham. He actually might even be the author of the book. There's this mm-hmm. all we don't know. It's either Job could be Elihu, or Abraham. Mm. But it's important because the, the, tr- tr- the people of God haven't been chosen yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just important because he's the only one that has the kind of almost correct worldview. And Job's grasping in the right direction. Mm. Do you have any more on that, Colin? No, well, I mean, I, I think right, I mean, you say that. It's you know, not that Abraham and he got chose because of anything righteous in and of itself. But this idea that that line had a fear of God and they had a desire to know what God said over what man had to say. And then even all these friends, they are trying to fear God, but they're doing so based off their own worldview. worldview. So let's go through kind of the outline of chapter 10 to 28. And I'm going to go as quickly as I can, but I'll make sure I equip you as best I can. Uh, Essentially, you can write down, this is bad counseling from friends. Someone has suffered. They lost their children. They lost all their property. And their friends are doing a very poor job counseling their friend. They're not sympathizing. They're not being compassionate. Instead, they're just trying to tell Job, hey, you, in the conventional wisdom is, you did something bad happened to you. You probably did something bad. So you just need to repent. Mm. Follow God. Fear God. They want him to fear God. They want him to have a relationship with God. But they have a misunderstanding of reality. They're really close, but they are so far. They don't understand the whole picture. And that's what the book of Job is trying to help us. So there's three cycles of 
argumentation going on. So cycle one is Job chapter four, verses 14. Uh, Job, cycle number two is Job 15 to 21. And cycle three is Job 22 to 26. A cycle is each friend speaks. In between each friend, Job responds to each friend. And then Job has a long discourse. And then the friends start over. So Eliphaz is always the first one to talk. So when Eliphaz is talking again, that means this is the new cycle. So let me help you break down each cycle as briefly as I can. Cycle number one. Eliphaz's argument, this is chapter four, chapter 14 to uh, four to 14, excuse me. Eliphaz's argument is that if Job would just repent, everything would be okay. And Bildad builds upon this. He insists that Job's suffering is evidence of, God, of Job's wickedness. So if he just turned to God, everything would be okay. Just repent. And Zophar, he kind of is a little bit more aggressive of the friends. He is like, Job, you got less than you deserve. You are a wicked sinner. You are God showing mercy on you right now. So put whatever hidden sin, just put it away and everything will be okay. And Job's response is like, I'm disappointed. I just want sympathy. I don't, I don't need reproof right now. I'm dazed. I'm confused. I don't know what's happening to me right now. He insists that he's not guilty of a sin warranting, that warrants such punishment. And he's partially correct and observes what his friends fail to see, that God sends mis- misfortune on both the righteous and the wicked. And it's partially because God allowed Satan. He didn't send the misfortune. He allowed Satan to go, as the reality was, as we saw in chapters 1 through 3. And he sarcastically responds to their worldview, saying that they are just restating conventional wisdom, that good happens to good, bad happens to bad. And Job's like, I want to speak to God. I really want to know what I exactly did, and I wish that I, I, did, I, wish I wasn't born. And before we jump on, like, oh, Job shouldn't have said that, ask anyone who's suffering. They sometimes wish they were not alive in their suffering. And so Job is experiencing great pain, and his friends aren't helping which begins cycle number two, chapters 15 to 21. Eliphaz gets a little more heated, and there's his response to Job, and he he claims Job does not fear God because God would not let the wicked go unpunished in in this life. And Bildad builds upon this point and gets even more heated than Eliphaz and tries to scare Job into repenting with his presumed sin by depicting the judgment of the wicked. And Zophar, the more angry of the friends, is more is offended by Job's response. Also, he also tried to scare Job by depicting the fate of the wicked. But Job's response is that he um, he states that if if they switch places, if they were suffering and he was their friend, he would try to encourage them. He would try to relieve them. He would try to point them back to God. And he's desperate for hope. He desires compassion because his friends despise him. And his, even as his wife despised, his wife says, just curse God and die. Just let God finish the job. You did something wrong. And they think he, Job sinned greatly because of his current suffering. But in the middle of in the halfway point of Job's response, he finds hope in the fact that God, that he knows God is, a, is, a, is his redeemer and he'll find answers when he dies and sees God face to face. This is Job 19, 25 to 27. And Job responds that their depictions of the wicked are, are, are correct with you know, eschatology in the end times. But if you just look around, the wicked are comfortable. The wicked are happy. The wicked are thriving until death. So even though they're saying facts, they're not really facts. They're not matching reality. And he's kind of jumping on something and saying, Satan's using suffering to really deceive the righteous. Why would he bother with wicked people who are comfortable? They're fine. He wants to just deceive the righteous to fail. Well, then we'll enter in cycle number three, Job 22 to 26. 
Eliphaz, he doubles down on Job saying, you mistreated the poor. You are wrong. Bildad is like exacerbated. He's like, I, I, this is a stalemate. I can't go on. And Zophar's so mad he can't even talk. And Job's final response in this moment is that he defends his innocence and just is so confused why God isn't answering him. And you know, why aren't you answering to my suffering? What's going on? Help me. I want, I want an advocate. I want someone to speak on my behalf. But he won't give into his friend's worldview that good happens to good, bad happens to bad. But he does understand the wicked having eternal punishment. They will be annihilated. Not from a not a theological annihilation, like that people will be completely Correct. It's yeah. not annihilation <laughs> theology. Right. It's it's a no, they will be completely utterly destroyed and will face eternal judgment. There we go. There you go. And then we end this week in DBR in Job twenty eight, which is the interlude, where Job's like, Where is wisdom? You know, the friends say they found it and they understand fully God fully, but they're wrong. And we run into this sometimes in our own lives and also in other people's lives. And the key text of your DBR is in Job 28, verses 20 to 28. Job is saying, from where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we have heard of a rumor of it with our ears. Job saying, we can't really fully understand the wisdom of God. We can't fully understand what God is doing. Only God knows. And he continues in verse 23. God understands the way to do it. And he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave us to the wind its weight and appointed the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and, the, and a way for the lightning of thunder, then he saw it and declared it, and he established it, and he searched it out. And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. Where can wisdom be found? With God. And to turn away from evil is understanding. Job's getting it. He just doesn't fully understand what God is doing because he doesn't. He was not in the heavenly council. So the key teaching for us is that only God knows everything. So we can't claim that we know what's going on. To say, oh, I know why you're suffering is because of this. It's like, no, no, we have to ask God. What is, God, what is going on? And here's the beautiful point, uh, per, uh, another side point, is that all of what Job is wanting points to Christ. Job wants to advocate. Well, Romans 8, 28, Jesus is the advocate. 27. 27, sorry, I read that wrong. Romans 8, 27. He's like, he's like I'm suffering. I, wh- wh- who else is suffering? Well, Romans 8, 17, we share in Christ's suffering. Christ suffers. He understands Job better than Job does. He, Job wants hope. Jesus is our hope. Romans 8, 18 to 25 and Romans 8, 28. Our bodies groan for eternity with God, and this is the hope that we have with Christ. He wants someone to intercede on his behalf. Romans 8, 26, Jesus intercedes for the saints. He wants a redeemer. Romans 3, 24, Jesus is the redeemer for the saints. And he wants the explanation for the world's problems. Well, Romans 1, 16 through 17, the solution of the world's problems of evil, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the point for us Christians is when we suffer and when we will suffer, as you pointed out in your sermon, we need to remember Romans 8, the truth of Christ, Romans 8, 28. We know for the God, all things work together for good. God's definition of good for those who, who are called according to his purpose. So we know that in our pain and in our suffering, God has something good for it to glorify himself. So when you're suffering, be like Job and search out God for answers. And thankfully, we have the totality of God's word for those answers. All right, Compass Bible Church, we are going to continue a little bit longer because there is a big current event that if you do not know about, you officially live under a rock. Mm. 
by God's grace on this country, Roe versus Wade has been overturned by the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. So, Pastor Hayden, what does that mean? Are we, does it mean we're done? We can we can praise God through a party, kick back, relax, and abortion's done? Like, mm-hmm. we, we won. That's it, right? That, that's what we've been waiting for for years. Is the work done? Yeah, I mean, great. Praise the Lord. That Roe v. Wade and Casey versus Planned Parenthood, right there. They've been reversed. Uh, what does that mean? Exactly what you're saying. The, the decision for abortion is no longer a federal issue. It is now a state issue, which the wonderful part about that is, uh, you know, there's a lot of practical joys about that. You can pick the state you want to live in, in America, that completely outlaws this idea of abortion, that you would murder you would murder your, your child volitionally. And uh, I think that is just a praise, uh, and especially in a world that we know is going to get worse and worse and worse. What a grace and mercy of our God that uh, we could see something in our lifetime that is so blessed and, and so evident in God's hand on, on our lives. And so uh, what we need to do, number one, is praise God for this decision. Praise God that uh, for so much that he had placed people uh, who uh, in the Supreme Court who would do those things, right? Uh, not that those people are perfect or infallible or in, even in, inerrant, right? Uh, but that God had in his sovereignty created not only with the framers of the Constitution, but even with our justices had created a, a pathway of, of God's grace uh, to allow this to happen. Now, we need to continue doing things like continue making disciples. That's our goal here, right? We believe that all people are made in God's image. They're they're designed to reflect God's image. We believe that every life is important and every life should be spared because of our desire to make disciples. That Everybody is created in the image of God, and they need to know God, and they'll know God as we make disciples for God. Now, our practical application is we need to continue to be trying to enact good laws that reflect God's character, right? We're not uh, a theocracy, right? We're not ran by God. Our country isn't ran by God, contrary to many people's thoughts, right? I mean, you look at all the laws that we have. Many of them do not reflect a biblical worldview at all. But in as much as we can, as we are interacting with society, we need to fulfill our civic duty. And in fulfilling our civic duty, we need to make sure that we are biblically informed with a biblical worldview to vote on things and to uh, help pass laws that reflect the character of God. We don't place our hope in this life. Absolutely not. But we've being good stewards of God and to glorify God in all things. Mm-hmm. We use our votes. We use our voices and, and civic duties to say, hey, we love to have a country that does reflect God's character if we can. Right. But our focus is going to be making disciples. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, all, we can sum this up also, but you need to pray for the laws. Pray for those who have had abortions, right? I mean, I have I have Christian friends, close Christian friends of mine who years and years and years ago had abortions, and uh, they were misinformed, right? In many ways, they were ignorant, right? Uh, it was a sin. Of course it was. But we have a lot of these people who have been dealing with the pain of, of this decision, and the worst thing that you can do is be a prideful, arrogant Christian, uh, and uh, and and just not have the grace and mercy of Christ, who offers forgiveness for even the most wicked things, including the things that you did that God has forgiven you for. And so you better you got to remember those things. So you have people here who are hurting on both sides of this. Uh, and we need to make sure, and Pastor Evan, you put a good uh, scripture reference, 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26, right? We, the Lord's servant, that's a qualification, right, for the elders, right, the pastors, and all God's servants, frankly, must not be quarrelsome, 
but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. I love that. I mean, the idea is we know that evil is about. And what is evil? Oh, well, this isn't just evil. It's, it's abortion. It's like, it's evil. Sin is evil, and sin is the decay of all things good and godly. And so evil, this would fall right in the lines of that. And verse 25, correcting opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Like, come on. And verse 26, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. That's a great verse that you put here. And it, and it aptly describes the situation we're in. Praise the Lord. Let's, let's praise and give glory to God for what has happened. And our goal now is like it always has been. It hadn't changed. I mean, we didn't put aside making disciples because of this. Uh, this is a part of making disciples. And it is important for us to praise God for what he's done. Uh, mourn with those who mourn, those who've lost. Right? And I'm not saying those who have lost the, 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 the vote, whatever. I'm saying those who have, who have lost children because of ignorance and because of, of misinformation and because of the world telling them that this is so good and so right. Uh, and now that the nation are in the highest courts are saying, yeah, you're right, this isn't right. Uh, okay, great. This is a great opportunity for us to show the grace of God, perhaps granting people to repent and turn to Christ. And so what do you have to add to that? We need to make sure that we're focused on making disciples. So mm-hmm. with this decision, we have disi- we need to make disciples of people within our church, people who are excited about this decision, uh, make disciples of our government officials. We need to make disciples of the women who are tempted and being called to you know, kill their children. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, thousands of, or millions of children are going to be saved from this, yeah. but they're not redeemed. Yep. So we need to make disciples of all these children. And so mm-hmm. we need to make sure that we are applying last week's ser- sermon of making sure we're generous, living out generously, not just you know, to our Christian church, especially and then calling people to repent, to follow you. And also making disciples of our enemies. And, you know, to add another practical part of this is like, okay, and what, since this is, overturned. Now, what happens when pregnancy happens? What happens in our community uh, when these things happen? Well, Christians also need to think, okay, what do we do? If we believe that lives are important, they're made in the image of God, what do you, what do, you do now as a Christian uh, when you know that there's going to be people having babies? What, how are you going to help disciple people? How are you going to help disciple you, family members you have that may get pregnant when they're not married, may get pregnant uh, or, or, or in, in many cases, right? And that would have been their first decision, go get an abortion. But now they can't. What, how are you going to step in as a Christian and help disciple them? You see, making disciples, you see how that was making disciples? How are you going to help do those things? Now your mind has to think. We're no longer in Texas, praise be to the Lord, fighting the, well, you know, we don't get abortion, don't get abortion. Well, they can't now. Great. How are you now going to help them be godly parents or to make wise decisions for their children? Now, that is a question worth ending this on. You need to be praying about that and considering how we're going to do that biblically. You know, making sure the work's not done. We got to love our neighbor and let's do it generously to live it out, to live mm-hmm. out the gospel in our lives. What a great opportunity mm-hmm. to be able to reach so many people for Jesus. These, these moms, these future kids, and of course, our enemies, the people who just hate us right now, mm-hmm. who are threatening us right, right. now. God loved his enemy, and we mm-hmm. get to love our enemy and share the gospel and display it. How awesome is that going to be when we can see God's hand saving people's souls? That's right. And the victory isn't in some things like this happening. The victory is Christ. And and that's in that. And I, I just, your victory isn't politics. Your victory is not America. Your victory is Christ. And, you know, that's what we praise God today for, that, that, Christ, uh, that Christ wins.
All right, Compass, we only have two announcements for you. Uh, first, we have the kids' summer camps. We have art camp coming up this week. So by this time you might listen to this, it might be too late to sign up. So be praying for art camp and that we would shepherd the souls well. But put, you know, sign your kids up for Camp Compass. It's for all incoming first to fifth graders. This is our VBS style camp based on answers v, uh, the answers in Genesis VBS on the sanctity of life. So what an apt topic. All right, and finally, we have Men's Breakfast, July 9th. Join other Compass men on the 25th at 10 a.m. at Compass Bible Church. 9 a.m., sorry. 9 a.m. at Compass Bible Church for a time of fellowship, breakfast, and worship. And Pastor Evan is giving a message on... The how to lead the household. The how to lead the home. Regardless if you're single, married, right. or have kids. All right, and we would love to have you guys there on June 25th. We look forward to nope, seeing July 9th. Man, you okay? They, we've got to. I forgot that. <laughs> you're all notes. here listening to the, the notes. Look terrible. The notes are not accurate right now. I'm so, sorry. Men's breakfast date July 9th. Time 9 a.m. We're going to be there. It's going to be fun. We look forward to seeing you guys there. Hey, Compass, thank you so much to listening to this week's uh, Compass Equip podcast. We look forward to seeing you soon. <laughs> <laughs>